You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. I am so excited about this episode. I grew up just being a big fan of sports and of the Olympics. I watched all the Olympic games and all the way back, I believe it was 96 in Atlanta. And my mom even went to the Olympics uh, to work there, right? She was definitely not an athlete, all right? But she was there working and she brought me back this USA track jacket, but it was like extra big and fluffy. I think it was like a double X, whatever, but I rocked that bad boy, all right? And it's just really a cool experience, um, just growing up and just really idolizing these different athletes, you know, the dream team, and just seeing human performance. And of course, I grew up playing sports as well. It started off just in a neighborhood, you know, running, racing each other, uh, playing basketball, literally, you know, living in, um, you know, some of the kind of bad, quote, bad neighborhoods that we lived in, you know, playing, literally playing basketball with the crate pinned up on a, a light pole. And that was our hoop, you know, in the alley and just having fun out playing. And we would play literally, you know, if we find a basketball court, we might play for four hours straight, maybe get a little bit of water. But when you get drink water, when you play basketball that long as a kid, you don't just drink it, you inhale it. All right. And that water fountain at the park that's like spraying straight up in your face, like you inhale that water. And, you know, just doing that to get into high school and playing football and running track, but that's where things took a turn for me. Literally, I was coming off the turn on the track. Uh, You know, there's a curve and there's a straightaway. And 16, I'm sorry, I was 15 years old, sophomore in high school, and as I was coming off the curve into the straightaway, it was about to be my 16th birthday, uh, my hip broke. I broke my hip from just running. Can you imagine? No trauma, no impact, no fall, but just running because my bone density was so low. And my aspirations of being at this high level of competition, whether it was the Olympics, whether it was you know just playing college football, my aspirations were really just vanquished. And I continued to try to figure things out, but my body just was really breaking down and not participating with me in my, in my plans. And so I just left all that behind me. And I continue to be a fan of sport, but I was really watching from the sidelines as my health began to go down further and further. And I didn't yet have the audacity to say no, to get outside of the box of what I was thinking was possible, because all I knew was that my body was going in one direction and my goals in life were going another. So I was just quitting everything. And I continued to stay in school and to, and to work on my education, but I was really lost in my identity of being an athlete my entire life. And my love, my struggle brought me to a place of really having the opportunity to help people with their health and wellness and to help athletes with their health and wellness. And huge shout out to all the athletes listening to the podcast right now. We've got listeners at every level, you know, whether it's high school sports, uh, college sports, uh, professional athletes in Major League Baseball, shout out to you guys, uh, Major League Soccer, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA. We have listeners in all of those incredible areas and just big shout out to you guys. But 
my mission became to help fuel those athletes and the future generations of athletes and those aspiring athletes who might be considered to be, quote, over the hill to have another shot at participating in the sports that they really love. And so it's my greatest gift was losing my health and not being to participate in the sports that I love. And But now today, guess what I do? I'm at the track. And I'm at the track training and I bring my kids along with me. My sons are crazy fast. It's actually scary, you know, how fast they are. And they just grew up around me because after I regained my health, I was able to participate. And I'm not out there like, and I could. I was actually running track uh, a couple weeks ago. And there's this this fella there, I'm gonna call him a fella. He's a he's an older guy and I, he's 70 and he participates in the Senior Olympics. And I was doing a 200 meter sprint and he came over to me, he was like, you could participate in the, you know, in your age bracket of the uh, of the sprints. I'm sure you can. I think you would actually win. And I was like, ah, oh, stop it. And but just to hear that kind of thing, like there's always competition. There's always a way that we can play and engage and and to use our incredible bodies. Like, what are we training for if we're not able to get out and have fun, right? And so, just all of this to say and just to show you how excited I am, we have on an Olympian today, but she's not your average Olympian. She's a summer Olympian and life would have it, she would become a winter Olympian as well. And her story is so unexpected, so improbable for her to achieve both of these things. And you're gonna hear more about that today. And what's so cool again is like, she's somebody who listens to the Model Health Show. And so for me to be in a position to add value to her life as an athlete, it just makes me so excited and so grateful and so happy. And again, just very, very pumped to share this with you today. Uh, she's a really incredible person and she stopped in here to our studio to hang out with us. So I think you're really gonna love this. But another big thing about this athletic equation is obviously it's not just the nutrition, it's not just the exercise and the movement and the training, it's also our sleep, it's also our recovery. And I've got so many athletes out there and also just everyday folks who are just wanting to optimize their life and to be the best version of themselves. I've got them creating their own sleep sanctuary, right? This place where just relaxation is overflowing and creating an environment where it's easier to fall asleep and stay asleep and get optimal efficient sleep cycles. And one of the things that actually can be an issue for people is their bedding is their mattresses themselves and also your sheets. Your sheets can be causing you issues with your sleep, crazy as it sounds. And so what I've found is so grateful for this because I love them so much. I found some sheets that are hypoallergenic, thermoregulating, moisture wicking, antimicrobial sheets that ensure that your body is not getting overheated because Thermal regulation is a big part of sleep and your body being able to reduce its core temperature in order to facilitate hormone release, enzymatic processes. If we're running too hot, this could actually disturb our sleep cycle. We've got many studies showing this now. And now we have access to these incredible sheets. They feel so good. It's kind of like that Tony, Tony, Tony song. When I get into the bed. It feels like that. And I can't describe it to you it's something you have to experience. And the great thing about these attitude sheets, they're organic, 100% organic bamboo lyocell. And so they're not using conventional 
materials that are usually used, even for the most, ex quote, expensive and luxurious sheets that are utilizing cotton, this bamboo lyocell is great for the environment. This is efficient and it uses far less water in the growing of the plants. And the way that they feel, you just can't put words to it. It doesn't even compare to cotton sheets. And so, and also just the antimicrobial part is a big thing as well. And we'll be talking about this more as uh, we move on in some future episodes, but I just want you to know that this is something you have to experience and you have the opportunity to do that right now with Attitude. And what's so cool is I've been talking with them and seeing, number one, let's get a discount for my audience. So number one, I got you a discount. All right, you get 10% off all of their incredible sheets and also they have pajama jammy jams as well. And you get 10% off everything. So that's number one. Here's what's also cool. There's a 30-day sleep trial, all right? So you get to sleep on them. There's a 30-day sleep trial. So you actually get to sleep on these sheets for 30 days. Sleep on it, dream on it. And if you don't love it and think that this is just radically upgraded your sleep experience, you could send it back for a full refund, all right? So there's nothing to lose. Every pleasurable sleep morsel to gain by popping over and checking out Attitude. Get yourself some of these sheets. It's attitude.com forward slash model. That's E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com forward slash model. Get 10% off and the 30-day sleep trial as well. All right, pop over there, check them out. Attitude.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Keeps Me on Track by Pink Flamingo 823 I love this podcast. It's so informative. The guests are amazing and your voice is so easy to understand. When I feel like cheating on my diet or feel unmotivated, I listen to an episode and I get back on track. I'm also happy to share a birthday with you. Hey, my birthday twin. Thank you so much for sharing that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so much. And please, guys, if you've yet to leave a review for the show, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. All right, or whatever platform you're listening to the show on, or if you're watching, hanging out with us in the studio on YouTube, make sure to leave a comment below the episode. Let me know what you thought of this particular episode. And on that note, without further ado, let's get to our special guest. Our guest today is Felicia George, and she's established herself as one of the top athletes in the world. She's an Olympic medalist, three-time Olympian, four-time national champion, and is a dual sport athlete accomplishing the rare feat of competing in both the Summer and Winter Olympics. In 2018, she was also the recipient of the Female Track Athlete of the Year. And in her time in college, she studied biological sciences at the University of Connecticut, graduating summa cum laude, and still holds the school's record in the hurdles. She's a strong advocate for holistic wellness as well as the empowerment of young girls and women. She works to inspire those around her to dream big and to follow their passion towards living the life they truly want. And now we're going to jump into this conversation with our incredible guest, Felicia George. You know what's so crazy is that here in the U.S. we don't think about Canada yeah. like churning out, you <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? No, no offense. Yeah. But there are some incredible athletes. We tend to think of like hockey. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so you being from there and when I heard about you and the things that you've accomplished, like it really tripped me out. And mm -hmm. I just was like, I gotta look into this further. And um, so obviously two sport Olympian, yeah, which we'll get to in a moment, but I, like how did all get started? Like what 
were you just like a kid running around playing sports? Like, how did yeah. you get into sports? Yeah. So earliest memories, um, I used to like race my dad in parking lots. Like we would be leaving stores and I'd be like, hey, let's race to the car. And, you know, started off with him beating me and then slowly I get faster and faster, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but in elementary school, we would have play days. And I was like fastest like kid in the school. You know what I mean? I'm out there beating the boys. And so, yeah, just kind of built from that. People always tell me, like, you should get a coach. You should get a coach. You should do some training. Um, and eventually I went to York University, which is a university in Toronto, um, got a coach and started training when I was about 15, um, five days a week. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I remember, so school used to finish at, like, 2.45. The bus to get there would maybe get around 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And I'd, like, rush to the bus. And it was, like, an hour and a half bus ride every single day to get to the track to train. Are you serious? Yeah, and I'm 15 at that point. But it was like, to me, it was like a huge Oh, wait, deal. hold up. Oh. This is live. <laughs> I said, are you serious? And Siri jumped so, on. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Model Health Show audience. Yeah. It happens to me all the time because I say serious. Yeah. She's like, what's up? As you were saying. <laughs> um, yeah, hour and a half bus ride every single day. But that was my first time like using public transit, so... Oh, it was a big deal for me. <laughs> yeah, and I was like super too? excited about that. I get to go there all by myself. It was yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, five days a week, take an hour and a half bus ride to get there every day. Um, and that kind of like popped things off for me in track world. Wow. So how did school fit into that equation? Um, well, so yeah, I was in high school at the point at the time. Yeah. So, you know, I would do a full day of school and then train after that. So I think training was like from three to six and then I went home. Then I did my homework and did all of that stuff. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. And I was playing basketball and volleyball too. Mm -hmm. I was like the kid that just did everything. Yeah. Um, my dad's a teacher, yeah. so education was like super, you know, big for him. Um, always had good grades and, you know, yeah. doing it all. <laughs> so what do you think about, because this is so cool, what do you think about like specialization for kids today? Because like I hear a lot, like just some of the great athletes that I know, yeah. they like did a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really believe like you need to learn how to play. Like, play and have fun. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids are getting into specialization really early. And then it's so focused on the training and the technique. And I think we each have a very special way that we personally move. And when you're mm -hmm. playing and when you're having fun and, you know, if you're just, like, playing basketball down the street, you're learning your specific movement. Yeah. And so sometimes training, I actually think training can take away from that because mm. you, you start to think too much and you're trying too hard as opposed to like letting your body like flow and find that. So it's like finding the right cues. Um, but yeah, I think I benefited from doing a bunch of different stuff. And then I didn't really specialize on track till I went away to university. Mm. Yeah. And then I did bobsleigh later on. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. So, and that's, you, and you came for university here in the States. Yeah. So that was UConn, right? Yeah. Went to University of Connecticut. So what, what, what prompted that decision? You know what? I always wanted to go away to school um, in the U.S. Um, like you were saying, it's it's more competitive here. It's uh, way more people. And so it's a more competitive environment to be in. And also um, in Canada, they don't offer full athletic scholarships, whereas there was an opportunity to get my education paid for. So I was like, and I'm a twin. So what? I have a I'm twin like, brother. Yeah. Stuff, no. what? yeah, I have a twin brother. So it was like, hey, we're going to be going to school at the same time. So I was like, let me help my parents out, you know, yeah. get that paid for. Nice. And so, yeah, I, I knew to kind of take myself to the next level. I needed to be in an environment where you're competing against the best yeah. and put myself in a situation where I'm not just, you know, 
the only good person, so that's why I'm doing well, putting myself yeah. in a situation where everybody's just as good and you got to kind of find that next level to take you to the, like, to get even higher. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I, like, work to communicate with my youngest son. Yeah. Because he likes being the best at everything, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And... And I, I just shared this with him the other day. Like, if you want to continue to get better, he's just like, you know, we go to the track and train. We've been doing this since he's yeah. a little kid. Yeah. Like, it's just something we do. Like, at yeah. least, you know, on a Saturday, we'll go as a family. But he, the other day, he was like, I'm already fast. Yeah. Like, I'm just I don't like, need nothing. <laughs> right? I'm good. I was like, B, don't you want to, you could be the fastest kid. He's like, I'm already yeah. the fastest kid in yeah. my school. Yeah. And I'm just like, you, this is a big call to, like, you need to work. Because I, this is the thing. He doesn't like running against like his brother right. or me. When like, he can you know, lose, he could potentially right, yeah, right. Yeah, but now yeah. he can beat his mom, yeah. which is crazy because okay. she's you know pretty yeah, yeah. fast, you yeah. know. Um, but I'm just like, if you work with people who are at or above your level, it makes 100%. you get better. Hundred percent. So yeah. you believe that too? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, going away to school was probably a bit of a defining moment for me in terms of like really taking my career to the next level. And I think when I left high school, I was a bit of like a a soft athlete. So my coach, actually, mm -hmm. my coach is Jamaican, and he used to tell me that I was soft like porridge. <laughs> and I re actually remember, like, one of my first hurdle workouts, I, like, I couldn't get the technique down or something, and I started crying. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I think back to that, like, like, who I was then, and it was like, wow, I'm, like, so totally different than that, you know? And so it made me tougher. It made me mentally stronger. It made me more aggressive. It taught me how to compete. And same thing, when, when we're all talented, and you, I go away to school and everybody's on scholarship. Everybody's talented. Yeah. What are you going to do to make yourself stand out at that point? Mm -hmm. And so that's when like the mental, the mental part of, you know, sport comes in and being willing to like stay back and do a little bit more work. And so it just taught me so much. And I feel like yeah. that put the like framework for me, like continuing past that. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> soft like porridge. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. But so... I'm just curious, and I, I just got to know this for myself. Why hurdles? You know, like, and yeah. I just got to preface by, it's like you're you're running, but I'm just gonna throw these obstacles in your way. Yeah. It's just like it's it's it's, it's a trip for me. Sounds you know? like a crazy person. That's, yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, yeah, you know, I started as a sprinter. Yeah. And I just wasn't seeing the success that I wanted to. I was young. Um, but my coach was like, "Why not? Let's try hurdles." And I actually started as a 400 meter hurdler. Wow, that now that whoa. that is what you want to talk crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't love it, but I was seeing success with it. Yeah. And I have I more so have a body frame for the 400 meter hurdles than the 100 meter hurdles. Um, but then I tried the sprint hurdles, and I don't know. There was just something about it that I loved how aggressive that you had to be. In the in the 100 meter hurdles, there's no giving 90 percent because you're not going to get to the next hurdle. At every effort, you're giving 100% to, and you're kind of just going all out. And it's about being fearless. Because I'm standing at the start line and I see 10 obstacles in front of me. And it's like literally just have it in your mind. Like, I'm going to attack every single hurdle. I'm gonna, if I have to knock it down, I'm going to knock it down. But I'm going to just sprint through these things. And I just loved that feeling of like fearless, almost being just courageous. Yeah. So, yeah. That was wow. it for me. <laughs> so when did you make that decision? Was that high school or was that college? Um... High school, so I'd say my last year of high school, I was focused on the sprint hurdles. I was also sprinting as well. And then I got recruited for the hurdles. Okay. And so college, I definitely was more so specializing at that point. Yeah. But I, I've always kind of had a lot of range. So I was on the 4x1, I was on the 4x4, um, I ran the 200. So, you know, conference, I was like, 
I'm gonna get y'all as much points as we need. Like yeah. I'm gonna do it for y'all. So, and then even after I've been sprinting, um, so I kind of do everything. But the hurdles have been my specialization since uh, university. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this is where the story gets really remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you went to is it two Summer Olympic Games? Yeah. Thus far, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that first one, mm -hmm. how did that come about? Um. So it, it's actually pretty interesting. So through university, I was like getting better every single year. But in my last year, I still wouldn't say that I was an elite hurdler. So there's this number. So 13 seconds is kind of the barrier to break into being elite. So at that point, I was running 13.39. And basically, if you're not running under 13 seconds, you're kind of like not really, you know, elite. Um, but I had this dream of like going to the Olympics. And so... Um, I decided to continue. And then in 2011, which is my first year out of university, I had this huge breakout year. And then I ran 12.73, made my first world championships team, um, made the finals at world championships. And then kind of from there, it was like, okay, I'm like one of the best in the world. And then 2012, you know, started training, made my first Olympics. Wow. Yeah. Like childhood dream literally realized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so where was the 2012 Olympics at? London. London. It was so dope. It was actually amazing. They did an amazing job. Um, 66,000 people in the stadium pretty much all the time. Um, usually for an Olympics, there's a morning session and then an evening session. Evening sessions are usually packed because it'll be finals. In London, morning sessions were like mm. packed. Like you walk in the stadium, like <sighs> all of that, you know? So yeah, really cool experience. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so how was that experience for you overall? I mean, it already just sounds amazing. Mm. Like just, again, dream fruition. Yeah. Um, so what was the overall experience like? Um, I mean, I think to me it was just amazing. You're going to, uh, you go into the Olympic Village. There's literally people from all over the world. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we talk about sport and the power of sport to really unite people. And really understanding, like, here, here's someone who's from Japan or here's somebody who's from Spain. And they probably understand the things that I go through more than some of my family members. You know, I, I just thought that was, like, such a unique experience to do that. Um, and then, yeah, going out and competing with the best in the world and really, like, standing at a start line and, and understanding, like, I am one of the best in the world and I belong here. And I think that was, like, a really cool experience for me. And then making an Olympic final in my, like my first year where like two years ago, people were kind of telling me like, you should quit track. Like you're, mm. you know, you're not really at that level. Um, people were telling me I would never make a Canadian team. And so to make an Olympic final in that first year was, it, it was just like super surreal for me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> you found yourself being really the top female hurdler in your country mm -hmm. by the time the next Olympics comes around, right? Yeah. Um, for real? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, heading into Rio. I had gotten injured actually right after London. So those few years were a little bit of a, a struggle. Mm. And so getting back to Rio was actually a unique experience in and of itself where it was kind of like a lot of lows. Um, and then making it happen for Rio and getting back to being the top, you know, in Canada. Um winning national championship that year and really understanding like the work that I had to do to kind of get back to that place was like super unique and I was really proud of myself through that and you know I think injuries can be there's a silver lining in everything and every challenge that I've had I think has made me stronger and better and I've learned so much about myself through the through injuries um and 
doing rehab programs, I kind of fixed a lot of the small little things, you know, that I had that I didn't even realize were issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting into Rio and then making my second Olympic team. Yeah, it's cool. So, and this is so funny that I hear this as a, a thread for like some the best athletes. Mm. Is like, there are these moments where like, you know, injury or mm. something takes place that really kind of makes you question, Yeah. you know, and makes you start thinking differently. I know even myself having an experience of just thinking like, it's crazy thoughts like I'm not gonna get better or I'm not gonna get back to where that level that I was at. Yeah. So you were yeah. going through that kind of. Uh, like I think that's the hardest part about being injured. It's the like confidence in the comeback. Yeah. And where because in track or I think in sport in general there has to be this like unwavering belief in self. Mm. And in track it's an individual sport, so I don't have no other players to rely on. Everything is about the work that I've put in, and my own execution. And so you have to stand at that start line like. I can beat every single person on this line and believe it to your absolute core, you know? And even if you don't, but you have to, and then I got to stand on the next line, even if I've lost a race before, it's like, I can beat every single person here. Like, you have to really trust in your ability. And then you get injured and you start running again and you're not running the times that you were running previously. So I think confidence is probably one of the hardest things to like build back. Um, but for me, I was using all the like baby steps that I was making as like, oh, I'm killing this. Like, oh, I'm doing this plank so good. Any little victory that I was having, mm -hmm. I was using that to like build me up and build me mm -hmm. up and build me up. And I mean, it takes a while to get that confidence in competition again, but yeah. I mean, it's a high like no other when you when you feel it, you know, when yeah. you feel it back, so. Yeah, wow. And so, well, this is where the story gets even more interesting. <laughs> We're taking and turns This turns. is where, <laughs> you know, I picked up, your story yeah and um you know i just thought it was fascinating you know being from where you're from you know your background mm -hmm. so if you could share too your um uh it's grenada right grenada grenada yeah I'm sorry. small island in the caribbean yeah most people don't know about it but i still think it's one of the most beautiful islands in the caribbean it's maintained a lot of its like natural beauty and so yeah both my parents are from there so grenada yes. but i'm Granada's in Spain. Yes. Okay. But fr from Grenada, yeah. you, both your parents are from there, and they yeah. moved to Canada? Yeah. All right. So they moved to uh, the Six? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. T.O. And so that, were you born there? That's I was born, born in Toronto. Born? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's you and twin brother. Yeah. And um, obviously it's cold up there. Yes, it's it a, is. It's a big change. A hundred percent, yeah. So you've been around cold weather, but you weren't necessarily doing cold weather sports, though. No. I'm a lover of all things summer. For sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So this pivot, that just very um, interesting, dynamic, unexpected, mm -hmm. you end up bobsledding, yes. right? And... <laughs> And just to kind of, if people don't know the story, I'll just highlight what's coming, but you end up going to Olympics, you know, the Winter Olympics, yeah. not just the Summer Olympics, but the Winter Olympics as well. Yeah. And I'm, first of all, I'm like, how? Yeah. Like, how did that even, that idea come up in the first place? Yeah. Um, so it's so funny, like right after Rio Olympics, um, I had a Twitter message waiting for me um, and it was one of the um, Canadian bobsledders and she was looking to recruit, you know, people to for the next Olympics and her coach coached um, track and field as well. And so they had seen me and they're like, I think this girl could be really good at bobsleigh. And so they were like, would you be interested in coming out? And honestly, at first it was like literally like, 
nah, <laughs> I'm good. Like I'm like, like I said, like I just finished. I was top eight in the world. I, it just didn't really seem like I needed to make a switch like that. Um, and that being said, I still couldn't like get the idea out of my head of potentially going to a Winter Olympics. And I'm 100% a person that just likes challenging myself in like really different ways. So for me, it was like really enticing the thought of like challenging myself in a new way, doing something totally different. Um, so then in, I eventually was like, you know what, I'm gonna come out and, and see if I like it. Because at the end of the day, if I go down a bobsled track and I absolutely hate it, we don't even need to talk anymore. Like, we could yeah. just be like, all right, cool. Like, forget it. So, yeah, in 2017, I think I went out. No, 2016, I went out to just try and see, like, what's it like mm. to go down a bobsled track. And that was an interesting experience isn't, <laughs> the very first time. I mean, isn't it like a torpedo? Like, it's... <sighs> Man, it's like... you. It, it's its own experience. Like, it's hard to even, like, verbalize it, but... Imagine like a roller coaster in some ways mixed with being in a car on a like bumpy road. Yeah, it's like its own funky thing. But like in Whistler, it goes up to 150 kilometers per hour and like five G's of forces pressing down on your body. So it's like it's pretty surreal uh, to go into. Um, and it's like, you know, when I got out there and I'm standing to go at the block to go down it's like, I have no idea what this is going to feel like, you know? And nobody kind of even really tells you, you know? It's just kind of like, okay, go ahead. Do you think? And um, and the very first time I went down, I wasn't even, like, sitting in properly. And so I was kind of like, you're supposed to kind of fold yourself over. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting up kind of upright. Mm -hmm. And oh. five Gs of force is pressing down on your neck. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I literally, like, my neck was so sore, like, the next day. Like, to the point that I'm, like, I had to, like, kind of, like, hold my, like, head. Like, because it was just... I'd never felt anything like that before, you know? And so um, definitely interesting experience, but I didn't hate it. That was literally, I was like, <laughs> I, did, I didn't hate this. So I think I can explore this a little bit more. Um, but we had done testing when I went out. Um, they have like a little ice house that mimics the start of a bobsleigh. Yeah. And my times are really good too. So they definitely saw like potential. So I was like, let's, let's see what we can do with this. Mm. Yeah. So what... There's two people with the bobsled. Yeah. Where were you at? You're the front or the back? The back. So I was a push athlete. So my job was to get the sled going as fast as possible. And so a tenth at the top can translate to three tenths at the bottom. So it, the start is actually really important. Mm. So the three things is that the, the equipment is really important, the start's really important, and then obviously the drive is really important. And so, yeah, my job was to get the sled going as fast as possible. Um, obviously, I have a background in speed. <laughs> <laughs> and right. so, you know, that was helpful. It was interesting, though, because as a track athlete, the focus is is very much on having really fast ground contact times, trying to get off the ground as fast as possible. But when you're pushing something really heavy, you want to spend way more time on the ground to generate force. So I almost had to relearn how to spend time on the ground mm -hmm. because when I first went out there, I was just kind of spinning my wheels. And yeah. To me, I was like, I'm killing it. I'm running so fast. They're yeah. like, but you're doing nothing. Like you're not applying any pressure or translating any of that force into the sled. So I had to kind of teach myself how to spend a bunch of time on the ground um, to learn how to do that. And I had to get super strong. I gained 20 pounds to do bobsled. Mm, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I would imagine you have to be, yeah, pretty strong yeah. to, to push that big bathtub yes. down that hill. Yeah. I mean, that... Yeah. Uh, what is it even called? 
a, a bobsled. That's like what they call it. So you're I mean the, uh, the, 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 the track. Bobsled track, and they call it track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what was so funny about it, too. I'm like, you know, I'm out here on the track, but a different kind of track. Bobsled track. <laughs> the bobsled track, yeah. So what was, okay, so you shared what was like your first time. You didn't hate it. Yeah, but, but I was scared. I was super scared my first time going down. I yeah. bet. Yeah. I bet. That amount of speed and that yeah. amount of force, oh yeah. my gosh. Now, I guess you gave yourself permission to, you know, go go out for this. Yeah. Um, now, you coming from being really the best in your country yeah. in your sport, and now where are you at in this bobsledding uh, hierarchy? Yeah. So I was living in Baton Rouge at the time. I packed up all my stuff, put it in storage, and I moved to Calgary to go to start training for this. So like literally packing up my life to be like, I'm, this is going to go on hold. I'm going to go out here and, and do this. And um, I think there was about six other girls that were already out there and had been doing it for years. Um, and we did testing. I think after two weeks of me getting out there, there was testing to make the World Cup team. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so I ended up finishing at fifth on the team. Um, so that was enough to make the World Cup team, but not enough to be competing. And so we, I was traveling with the team. And learning how to push, learning how to do everything, but I wasn't given the opportunity to compete, which was so hard for me. Mm. I, the one thing I love about sport is competition. Yeah. Like, I want to go out there. And if I'm training, I want to compete. And in track, I've never had the situation where I'd only be training, but I wouldn't be competing. Yeah. And so I had the job initially of being a spear, which is basically like um, the alternate um, but my job on race day was to like collect people's clothes and to like bring the sled to the to the top of the hill and to do all this like extra work to support the teammates and what they were doing, the racing teammates. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna be the best teammate that I can be. But at the same time, I was like, this is so much motivation because I'm not collecting y'all clothes for like much longer. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna get this spot on this team. Yeah. Um, and there's only three sleds. And so there's only three spots. And so I knew I had to be one of the top three in order to make, you know, the Olympic team. And yeah. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So, I mean, what, what was going on for you psychologically, like in your mind? Um, again, like you're at the top of your game over here and yeah. now like you're not getting the opportunity to be even be, you know, in the competition. Like yeah. what kind of stuff? Because I would imagine you got face to face with a lot of self-talk. Who is mm. Shirley? <laughs> Who is Shirley? Shirley. <laughs> Shirley's my homegirl, but not really. Um, I like to personify the voice in my head. Um, I think it helps me realize that a lot of the thoughts that I have are not me. You know what I mean? They're kind of like the socialization. All the, It's every other thing. And sometimes that voice isn't us. It's other people's voices. And so I've personified that person. And that person for me is Shirley. Um, and... So whenever I think I'm hearing that self-doubt and that talk of telling me, like, you're not good enough, you can't do this, or you should be afraid of this, like, that's Shirley. And so I literally would have a conversation with her, like, girl, I need you to just take a seat right over here because I'm over here trying to do this. And so, yeah, I think it really helps thinking, understanding that those thoughts aren't me and that I'm capable of doing things even if my thoughts are saying something different than that. Yeah. Wow. You know, when I first heard that, I was like, <laughs> we all we all have a Shirley. 100%, you know? yeah. And I think a good, like, 
actual example of this, like in major uh, media, is from the TV show Martin. Yeah. You know, which is just legendary. But Cole had a girlfriend mm -hmm. nobody ever saw named Big Shirley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and it's just like, Cole, you don't have no girlfriend. Yeah. But it's just like, it's this invisible force. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we share these things, you know, with the psychologists or whatever, it's like, yeah. you get diagnosed with something. Yeah. We all have voices in our heads. Yeah. You know, this is the most incredible thing about the human mind, really. Yeah. You know, but it's being able to understand that that voice is not you. Exactly. Right? That's not... And many of us can get caught up thinking that that voice in our head is who we are. Exactly. And instead, you can even... I love that technique of personifying the negative voice. Yeah. And being able to, like, dictate, like, now listen, Shirley. Yeah. Or, like, maybe Shirley's right. Like, yeah. to have a conversation in yeah. your own mind. Because yeah. uh, what we're often looking for is... Uh, external motivation or mm. external conversation to try to fix what's happening in our own minds. Right. So, wow, like that's, that's really profound Yeah. to even go through that process and uh, have the, I would imagine also that there might be a, a bigger, like you kind of starting over in a yeah. sport. Was there like fear Yeah. A, a failure would come up for you as well? Oh, like fear, doubt, um, I can't tell you how many times I had, like, my friends had to, like, talk me off a ledge of me literally mm -hmm. being, like, I'm not going to make this team. Like, there's no way. Cause I, and the thing is, a big thing for me, when I first got out there, um, I was comparing myself a lot to what the other girls were doing. Mm -hmm. And so every time you push out a, on a bobsled track, at the end, you can see the time that you pushed. So it's, like, instantly, I know exactly how I did. And it's a number, so I can very easily compare myself to every single other person. And so I would push cool, that's my time. Then I would, you know, one of the girls who'd been pushing for like six years goes and pushes and I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's not as fast as what she did. And um, it's hard. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, uh, I think one of the things that make me great is that I, you know, I, I will critique myself and try and find how I can be better, but it can also hold you back in a lot of ways. So I'm constantly comparing what they were doing. Um, and I started getting worse. Like I was getting like worse and worse and worse. Um, and so I eventually made the decision of, I'm not going to look at the times anymore. I'm not going to look at the times I'm pushing in practice. I'm not going to look at the times that those girls are pushing in practice. And really just making the decision to solely focus on myself. And I basically was just like, I can only focus on what I can control. So every day at practice, I would choose one thing to say like, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is the technique that I want to work on. And if I did that, that was a successful day. Not if I was better than them or not better than them and just choosing that one thing to focus on. And I mean, I saw myself progress like so fast. And so like, it was like night and day being able to like, like take that like judgment and comparison out of the, out of the equation. Um, yeah. And I think that was kind of like a big deciding thing for me as well. Mm. Because I, I, in your talk, which we'll put that in the show notes, it's yeah. an awesome talk. Thank you. And so this was a Ted event and you share, you were going to quit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was hard because it's like, I know I have a fallback. Yeah. So I was right, like, I can right, just right. go right back to track. Yeah. And literally, so indoor season started in January and it was like December and I still wasn't racing. And I was like, I'm, I'll just go back to track. I was literally like, I'll just quit. It's fine. Like, no, but like, like I can do what I, I know I'm good at track. I don't need to be like here. And, and it was hard, like not competing. And then like every day, every time before a competition, like there's a, a meeting and they're going to say, these are the people who are, you know, racing. And I'm kind of like, you know, hoping I'm going to get to race. And then they're like, you know, say three other names. And I'm like, you know what I mean? And it was like, my heart was just getting broken over and over and over again. 
I'm out here trying my best, but I'm not seeing the results that I necessarily wanted to see. So it was kind of like, I could go, I could go over here and do this and I know I'll be good at it. But at the end of the day, I'm a really a, a person that tries to see the possibilities more than necessarily my current situation. And so I saw, okay, this is where I'm at right now. But I understood that there was a possibility in front of me of potentially being the top athlete on the team, of potentially making the Winter Olympic team. And so, again, I just chose to focus on that possibility as opposed to focusing on the failure that I might see within that. Yeah. 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 And so we're going to share what happened yeah. <laughs> right after this quick break. You've got to hear this story. And uh, we'll share that right after the break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Growing up, if I thought about chocolate, I think about Three Musketeers. I think about a Kit Kat, Butterfinger, right? I had all these ideas. Hot chocolate, uh, chocolate ice cream, chocolate cake. Those are the things that would conjure up in my mind when I thought about chocolate. Little did I know that chocolate itself, the original root of chocolate, which comes from something that's botanically a, a seed, these cacao seeds, was one of the most healthy foods in the world. Listen to this. This was from a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that polyphenol-rich cacao, or cocoa, without the sugar, has remarkable prebiotic effects on the human body. So what the study found was that folks who were consuming this sugar-free cacao flavanol drink for four weeks significantly increased their ratio of probiotics or friendly bacteria, bifidobacteria, for example, while significantly decreasing their class of firmicutes, which is associated with fat gain. So there's certain types of bacteria that are associated with gaining fat and these firmicutes. So the saying in health right now is that if you want to be firm and cute, you got to reduce the firmicutes. All right. I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. All right. But the bottom line is, wow, it has a really powerful, remarkable impact on what's happening with your microbiome. The study also found that it was able to reduce levels of systemic inflammation measured by something called C-reactive protein. And if that weren't enough, Cacao also has these compounds that have a really powerful influence on our mood, like anandamide, which is known, like that translates to mean bliss chemical, right? Uh, serotonin, tryptophan, these precursors that help your body to produce things like melatonin, right? That helps you to sleep better. It goes on and on and on, but the quality matters a lot. And when you can get real chocolate into something that is even more health-giving, you've got something really special. And that's what they have with the new chocolate Organifi Gold Drink. So they got the chocolate along with their incredible, delicious turmeric formula. And as you know, turmeric has very powerful anti-inflammatory properties. And it also has been clinically proven to have anti-angiogenesis properties. So this means that turmeric literally has the ability to cut off the blood supply to cancer cells, all right? And we all produce cancer cells every day, but a pro properly functioning immune system and being able to regulate this angiogenesis, which we need, but we need at certain levels, is incredibly important, and food can help to regulate that. So I'm a huge fan of Organifi. Now they've got the new chocolate gold. All right, so pop over there, check it out. Just released, just delicious. Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off that and everything else they carry. All right, so head over there, check them out. Organifi.com forward slash 
modelist, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off. Now back to the show. All right, we are back and we're talking with Olympian, two different types of Olympian, Winter Olympian, and oh, I guess I'm already alluding to what Sorry. happened, and Summer Olympian, <laughs> Felicia George. And before the break, we're talking about your experience. You were going to quit yeah. this um, mission to be a part of the Winter Olympics, and you shifted gears, though. You yeah. began to focus more on you, to stop focusing on the times and just focusing on yourself yeah. and improving. And something happened. Mm. What what happened? What kind of changed the course of this experience? Um, I just started seeing myself get better and better through that, through not comparing myself to other people, really focusing on you know the things that I wanted to focus on. Um, and I finally got an opportunity to race. And I'm I'm a different person when I race. Like there's a little bit of an alter ego that comes in. So I knew I was like, if you guys give me one chance, mm -hmm. I'm gonna show you guys what I can do. I'm gonna use this opportunity. And um, and I did. They gave me an opportunity to race, and I was like, I'm going to do everything I can in this opportunity to show them, like, I deserve to continue to race, and I deserve a chance on the team, um, the Winter Olympic team. And um, we we did great. Um, and I had every single World Cup race after that race. And so, and then made the Winter Olympic team. I think it was announced in February, you mm. know, of being on the Winter Olympics. And so where was this at? The first race? Yeah. No, the, the Winter Olympics. Oh, Pyeongchang, South Korea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So now you're in South Korea. Yeah. And representing your country yeah. in Olympics and Winter Olympics. Yeah. And so, and I just want to make this clear, like, what did this mean for you? Uh, you know, because this is rare. This has never happened before. Yeah. yeah. Because of some specific things about you and your story. Right. Right. I think there's some been some athletes who've done both the winter and summer Olympics, right. but not like you. Right, yeah. So um, I was the first Canadian black woman to compete in winter and summer Olympics, um, which I actually didn't even realize would have been, um, you know, when I first started out. But yeah, it was huge. Like I did it and then people were starting. To, I was like, oh, that is super cool. I didn't even know that. But um, <laughs> yeah. man, I think even I had some like young girls like messaging me and talking about like, you know, hey, I want to do bobsleigh or I want to do, mm. you know, a sports that they don't, you wouldn't traditionally right. see. Um, and I, I'm like really big on people just opening up doors and everybody, like I said, people seeing possibilities. Yeah. And so for me, it was like a really cool opportunity to be that, you know, person that someone could potentially look at and see like, Hey, that's an opportunity I never thought about or a possibility I never thought about, but now, you know, that's on my radar or something I think I could do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so in the Olympics, yeah. um, this is, a, again, a different, a huge stage. You've been in huge stages before, but I would imagine that this felt different. Mm. And it was also, cold. It was really it was cold. cold. <laughs> <laughs> it actually was freezing because the, with oh the wind chill, gosh. it was like, I don't know, close to like minus 30, well, Celsius. I know you guys do Fahrenheit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. already have thrown out kilometers. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, ah. Oh, yeah. But I, I respect that. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Um, but yeah, it was cold. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was cold. It was different. I would imagine, you know, you got the butterflies mm -hmm. running. Mm -hmm. But what happened? Like, how, how did it how did it go? Yeah. I know the answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Bob Slay is interesting. It has you do two runs on two days. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Yeah. So and then it's the cumulative of the times from that. Yeah. Um, so the first two days, our runs were OK, but we finished in fifth. Mm hmm. 
And I had never had the experience of having to like go home, sleep, knowing, okay, this is the position that you're in. And then you got to come back tomorrow and compete. Mm. So that was hard. That you, I don't know if I slept that night. Like, oh. just so excited and so like, man, we we are in the hunt for a medal, but we gotta like really make it happen on day two. Um, and yeah, day two we had two amazing runs, um, and ended up finishing in the bronze medal position. You know, winning a bronze medal, and I remember, you know, finishing, getting out of the sled, and being like seeing the time and realizing, okay, we won a bronze medal. And I like just started crying. Mm -hmm. And I, you imagine those moments and you're kind of like, but when it happens and the emotion is just so raw, it like, to me, that's what I live for, like with sport, like feeling that raw emotion. And it wasn't even so much the like, I won a medal and you know, that's a, a level of success or whatever. It was like, I know where I was. And I know all the work that I had to put in to get there. And to me, the journey and the process to get to that point and then being like, wow, now I won a medal. And before people were like, she probably won't even make the team was, yeah, that was surreal for me. And like, that's what it, that medal meant for me. Like my willingness to kind of like be willing to fail, be willing yeah. to stick with it, to to like put myself out there. And that like that's what the medal was. So yeah. I'm out there crying. Like <laughs> but it was awesome. Yeah. Cold. Cold. Crying. Yeah. <laughs> and you ain't got much we got them like speed suits on. It was yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, this is an incredible story. Like it's very unexpected and very rare. Mm. But what did what did the process teach you? You know, coming from something that was your comfort zone, something mm -hmm. you had done your whole whole life basically into this totally new domain. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything? Because I think it's a it's like a current human condition, maybe historical, but we desire comfort, yeah. right? Yeah. And you said that I think you said like comfort is deadly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your comfort zone is great, but like there's there's danger in staying mm -hmm. there. Um, and so I think for me, the biggest thing was understanding the possibilities and embracing uncertainty and being in a situation where you're like, I really don't know what's going to happen here. And there's a lot of bad things that can happen, but there's also so many possibilities. And I think if, if you're uncertain, you have to understand that like, there's a horizon of possibilities available to you. And so for me, it was embracing uncertainty and just kind of being fully within that process um, and taking myself completely out of my comfort zone. Because um, comfort routine, you're going to do it over and over again. You know exactly what you're going to get. But I grew so much as a person through that process. Um, yeah, so, and I, and I think another big thing that I learned was patience. Mm. Patience through the process. Because I started and didn't look like, a, you know, anything was going to happen. But it was me just staying patient and continuing with the process to understand. And then getting to the point where I was at the end. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So one of the things that I noticed in, in your story, and again, watching your talk, which I'll put that in the show notes for you guys, was obviously there's this thread of getting out of the comfort zone, mm -hmm. but there's this dirty F word that is involved a lot of times. You're like, what is he talking about? Mm -hmm. Fear. Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's often involved. You're yeah. like, what kind of tabloid gossip yeah. you got, y'all? <laughs> But that's involved that, you know, we really kind of shy away from. Yeah. And I think it can be obviously be debilitating. So um, 
where's your confidence come from? Because I know that you were scared yeah. in doing this process, but like confidence is such a huge key to success. So yeah. how did you develop that confidence in this whole different domain? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess speaking on fear, I think for me, it's understanding that it's you don't have to be fearless. And I think a lot of people are going to situations thinking like, if I feel fear, that's a bad thing. And if I feel fear, I can't continue. And to me, I think it's important for people to understand like pretty much every high performer that you see feels fear at some point. And it's not about not about being fearless. It's about just having the courage, having the courage to kind of move forward through it. And to me, I've always tried to have a why that feels just bigger than my fears. And so for me, it was making the Winter Olympics. So when I'm standing at that bobsleigh start line on the block and my heart's beating out of my chest and I want to turn around and leave, I was just asking myself for like 50 seconds, just 50 seconds of insane bravery because we know what we're trying to do. Like there's a goal that you're trying to get to. Um, so I always have a why that I really, really hold on to in the moments that I'm feeling very fearful to kind of like take me to that next level. Mm, what's that why? Um, I, I think about this, I call it the space in between. So this is where I'm at right now and this is where I want to be. And I feel motivated by that space in between breaking that down to smaller and smaller and smaller to like get to where wherever I want to be. And so for me, that was, okay, this is where I'm at now. I want to be a Winter Olympian. And it's like, you can't be a Winter Olympian in bobsleigh if you don't go down a bobsleigh track. <laughs> so you know what I mean? You got to yeah. just, there's steps that you have to take. Yeah. And so for me, it's just making that space in between smaller and smaller and smaller. That's such a cool way to think about yeah. it. Wow. Wow. I love that. And of course, the song came in my head too. The space between. I don't know that song. You don't know that song? <laughs> we'll play a little bit for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the space between the tears we cry is the laughter keeps us coming back for more. The space between. So that was actually the Dave Matthews band. Yeah. And they've got like some really diehard fans out mm. there. Uh, I remember the first time I heard about them was I was working at a casino, of all things. Yeah. You know, I was in college. Well, no, I was in between colleges. Mm -hmm. That was my experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was my, it was the manager of the department. Yeah. Um, and he was like just raving about the Dave Matthews band, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, oh, that's so typical of like this person's character. Yeah. And then, you know, he plays some stuff. I was like, oh, that's kind of dope. Yeah. You know, so I remember that song from Space back between. then. Okay. But the Space Between. That could be my new like hype song. Now <laughs> no, I know. That's my no. like, you know, goes my little mantra. Cool. <laughs> it might not fit, but it might, you know. Um, so I got to ask you too, like, and if, just for folks that could see us in the studio, shout out to everybody watching on YouTube, your T-shirt. Ah. Which, which we all love. I was like, is this Maratoto? <laughs> what is it mean? But what is it actually? It's weirdo upside down. And what what gave you the uh, the courage <laughs> to rock that shirt? Um, I like being different. And I think there's, you know, I like being kind of a little bit outside of what everybody else does. Mm. Um, and I think that's a strength. And I think you, you have to dare to be different. And I think we all have our own little something that's really special about us. And so I try to like really play up on that, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I think being a weirdo is actually like a positive thing to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I love this so much. Yeah. Man, um, 
there's so many things I want to ask you about, but I, I really want to talk to you about, you know, you mentioned how comfort zone is dangerous, mm. you know, so what is your next uncomfortable situation? Um, so currently I'm transitioning back into track and field. Yeah. I'm going to make my hopefully fourth Olympic team. Um, but yeah, that's just been an interesting transition back mm -hmm. and way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but kind of battling back through that. And I think I'm in an interesting situation because I've never had to lose 20 pounds to do track and field. I've wow. never had to like yeah. reteach myself how to get off the ground. Um, so many different things. Yeah. Um, and so in my mind, the Felicia that's done track and field for the past, you know, 15 years, she knows this knows everything, mm -hmm. but my body isn't responding in the same way. And so it's figuring that out. And it's almost like I'm kind of starting from scratch with a little bit of that beginner's mind as well, because yeah. it's like, I can't rely on having, you know, four or five years put together to figure out how to get it done. It's how do I get it done with where I am in this present moment? Um, which has been interesting. And I, and I, like I said, I love a challenge. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, getting myself back to an Olympic final in, in Tokyo and not just that, but adding, you know, a summer medal to my winter medal. Yeah. And you're weird enough to do it. Yeah. You know? I love it. I love yeah. it so much. But you know what's so funny? When you were sharing the story about learning to spend more time on the ground, I was like, I literally, the first thought was like, she's going to have to unlearn that, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, you put, it's not just the muscle memory, what yeah. people talk about, but it's just like repetition is one thing, yeah. but also the emotional trigger. Mm -hmm. Like if you emote like have a deep emotion while you're doing it like you did, yeah. it really changes your body the way that it functions very yeah. quickly. It solidifies into you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first year back, it was like, I'm just heavy and spending so much time on the ground. And, and, mm. and But like I said, in my mind, it was like, this is not how I run track. Mm. But um, yeah, unlearning that has been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have no business offering this advice, but it's just the same thing. Like I, like I just mentioned, that emoting, you know, yeah. that emotion into the new yeah. neuro association, you know, the new pattern again. Yeah, you know, whether it's passion, whether it's you know whatever emotion is, frustration, yeah, like that changes things in yeah. our body so much quicker. Yeah, you know, so and I'm just excited to see what you do, you yeah. know, and I mean. Um, so this one's in Tokyo. Tokyo, yeah. Oh, and man. I haven't been to Japan before, so I'm super excited. And I feel like they're just going to do the most. like, yeah. really, You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. really try and outdo every yeah. single Olympics that has ever been before. So yeah. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but there's some all, so we've got this aspect outside of the track. Yeah. You, and this was so interesting when we first was talking, like you I think you're more acclimated to being uncomfortable than a lot of other folks just yeah. because of the fact that like your home base changes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I move around all the time. Um, I've been in, you know, Baton Rouge, I've been in Phoenix, currently living in Austin, Texas. Um, so yeah, I'm always in a situation where I'm things are new and I gotta figure out, you know, figure things out. But I think as an athlete, just through like doing workouts and stuff, you understand that being uncomfortable is not an issue. Like being uncomfortable is not a bad thing, I should say. You know, when I'm going through a workout and, you know, when you're lifting, you're hurting, you know, some of the times, or you have a rep and you don't want to do the next rep, but you got to put it in. And so I understand that discomfort is not a bad thing, but discomfort is me growing in some ways. And so, you know, 
I think it's positive to put yourself in those situations where you got to kind of figure things out. Yeah, I totally 1000% agree. Yeah. And so just to go back a little bit, you mentioned something earlier and I just don't want it to go in passing, mm. but with you achieving what you did by, you know, going from Summer Olympics to the Winter Olympics and having like little kids just like wanting to get involved yeah. with what you're doing. I mean, how does that feel like for me like it comes up with I think it was Charles Barkley was like I'm not a role model whatever, yeah. but like you are. Yeah. You really are. Yeah. And uh not just for athletes but also for for women, yeah. also for women of color. Yeah. And so what does that mean to you? Yeah. No, I take that super serious cuz um I am a role model. Um and I think it is still a little surreal for me like if I'm at a track meet and you know young girls are coming up to me and you know can I have your autograph or they you know want to take a photo with me. But that just shows me, you know, the position that I'm in to potentially influence them. Um, and I think women in sport, I'm actually pretty passionate about this, is really important because I see the things that I've learned um, through sport. Um, you know, I've learned how to be more aggressive, how to speak up for myself, how to be competitive, you know, things that we don't traditionally um, lead women towards. And so the issue is a lot of young girls start in sport, but they don't stay. And in high school, they stop playing. And, you know, there's other things that become more important. And I think they're missing out on a lot of positive things that they could be getting. And it's not to be a professional athlete per se, but there's life skills that they could be learning. And so if I can be that person that a young girl is going to look toward and say, hey, she's super cool and she's doing sport and she's doing this, and they're encouraged to be in sport because of that, like that's really important for me because I know that that's going to make them better people, better well-rounded people. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean... I really relish the opportunity to be a positive role model. Um, and I think it's super important that young girls have someone to look at. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I know that you're in process and this story is still unfolding. This part, yeah. you know, with you being like a world-class athlete, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Like you're sitting here with me right now. I'm just like <laughs> catching the vibes <laughs> off of you. Um, but if we can fast forward a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 10 years, mm -hmm. like, You've got also a gift like your story in of itself and just these insights and these small lessons. Mm -hmm. Like I know that you're going to expand on them because mm -hmm. they're like really vital messages built into this. So what do you see yourself doing? I mean, we're going to be looking out for, I don't yeah. know, you come into our town and speaking yeah. or like some books. Like what, it, what, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, both of those things. Um, after doing, you know, that TED talk um, or that, that TED event, um, I realize I can maybe have a little bit of a knack for speaking. Um, and so I definitely would want to be doing more speaking. And I think in sport, yeah, it's a competition, it's a game or whatnot. But there's, like I said, there's so many life lessons to be learned. Um, and so I'm excited to potentially be sharing those lessons that I've learned through sport with people. Um, and I think, you know, when people hear me speak, they've kind of said, like, it really resonates with them. And so I think it's cool to have an opportunity to give people a different way of thinking of things. Yeah. Um, and I'm a writer. And so I'm really excited about potentially writing some books. I have actually something in the works right now. Um, I don't think I told you about that. No. But um, yeah, so, you know, getting into writing and kind of putting my stories down. And, and I think the way you think kind of dictates the way you see the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like I said, giving people alternate ways to think and understanding that their thinking affects what they can do. Um, and I think that's very empowering. And so giving people that power. Uh, so I'm excited, you know, speaking, writing, um, uh, and then mentorship. 
That's mm-hmm. also a really big thing for me. I think as an athlete, I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And I would love to give younger athletes the knowledge that I have now so that they don't have to make some of the mistakes that I've made um, and maybe give them like a better starting point than I had. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. So is that something that played a big role for you? Mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and I think that's a reason why I want to get into it because it's like, I was so fortunate for the amount of coaches that I've had that have really like poured into me and spoke positivity to me and told me like, you can be the best in the world when I couldn't see that. Um, And then just having other older athletes as well, kind of give me the ins and outs, you know, you you have to make your own mistakes, but at the same time, giving someone a platform that they don't got to make all the mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. All right. So action steps now, Um, obviously like your journey, we want to go with you on this. So where can people connect with you? online, like social media, that kind of stuff. So I'm most active on my Instagram and it's um, just at Felicia George. My name is spelled (laughs) P-H-Y, which is funky and most people don't know that. Um, But yeah, Instagram is my biggest. um, And I try to document my like journey as much as possible. Um, And I actually am really going to work on putting something together in terms of the lead up to this Olympics, um, putting something more regular uh, stuff out. So yeah, follow me on Instagram. I'll be out there. I have a website as well. Um, and Twitter a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. I'm the same here. Yeah. You know? like, like, I'll throw out some <laughs> random ideas yeah. on Twitter, but sometimes I get in a tear. You yeah. Know? Like that Twitter. You do a tear. thread. You yeah. Whole, yeah. I just yeah, drop yeah. all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so follow both of us yes. on Twitter. I'm yeah. at Sean Model. Um, so final question for you. Um, what is the model that you're here to set with the way that you personally live your life? What is the model that you're setting for other people with how you live your life? personally um man i think it's a lot of things i think one not being afraid to dream big and i know that sound might sound a little cliche but i think a lot of the times we place these limits on ourselves that we don't even realize it's we're self-imposed um but understanding that you can dream like way outside of the box and do things that you know you might not have even realized and i i never thought i'd be a bobsleigh athlete i never thought i'd be a winter olympian i never in my identity, that there wasn't space for that, but opening up space for like way more possibilities. So dreaming big, and I think following your passion, doing things that you love, um, and letting that kind of you know set your soul on fire. Oh, that's so good. Opening up space for possibility. Yeah. Thank you. Just even that one thing, <laughs> yeah. so valuable. I appreciate you so much for just even coming to hang out with us today. Thank you. And um, I'm just really blown away by your story, your audacity to like. I mean, you really jumped into the discomfort. Yeah. You know, like that's the total other end of the spectrum in many mm-hmm. ways. And the the biggest thing for me today is even personally just asking myself, like, where am I leaning too much into my comfort? Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you said it's dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, because we all have so much potential. And I think that that leads to, you know, that making space for more mm-hmm. is just about getting yourself into different situations and circumstances. So thank you for inspiring me today. Thank you. And uh, just coming to hang out with us. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Truly, and she mentioned this statement, and I've said it here on the Model Health Show before, but I want you to really think about this. When's the last time you did something for the first time? When's the last time you did something for the first time? We all have a tendency to get caught in our day-to-day patterns, our routines, and that's great. Like our success is in the routine, absolutely. But our success can also be imprisoned or limited 
by our routine and the sameness. Growth is really outside of that comfort zone and being a little weird and not staying and playing in the lanes. And to do that, we have to just, again, ask yourself that question and just change it up. Try something new because you never know what thing might just light your life on fire and bring you a new level of joy, of insight, of experience, or quality that is dormant right now. Maybe it's patience, as she mentioned earlier. Like just maybe there's something that is gonna help to cultivate that within you and your spirit. That what's so beautiful about these lessons, and I know that she'll be sharing this over the years as she shares her story, is that the lessons from these things percolate themselves into other areas of our lives. You know, maybe that patience you were going after was for your business, but then it translates over into your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your investments or whatever it might be. But those good qualities that we pick up in one area gracefully translate into other areas of our lives. And so I really want to encourage you, think about it, ask yourself the question, when was the last time that I did something for the first time? And this week, it is my... Uh, request to you and my homework for you is to do something different. Try something different. If you've been wanting to go and take a, a salsa dancing class, right? You see the little salsa on Instagram, you're like, oh, I, wanted, I would love to do that. Go and do it, all right? Take that salsa dancing class. Go to a different type of restaurant, right? Try something different. Um, take a different type of class. Listen to a different type of podcast. I know that sounds crazy. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to comfort you, take care of you, come back. But check out something different that maybe you wouldn't normally listen to, right? There's some weird stuff out there in podcast world. I mean, there's, there's podcasts on if you, Planet Talk, right? If you want to talk about outer space, they got it for you, all right? If you want to talk about uh, solving crimes, unsolved mysteries, got it for you. All right. No matter what it is you're into, you could find something. Or again, listen to something you might not think that you'd like. And I do that from time to time myself. And I find some real gems like that. Um, and so that's the mission. That's the objective. That's the homework. Uh, try something new this week. All right. New class, new experience, new podcast, new type of book, magazine, whatever it is. Just change it up. Give yourself a different uh, input that you normally wouldn't. And I think you're gonna experience some growth from that. And we've got some powerhouse episodes and guests coming your way. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share it out with the people that you care about. Any athletes in your family, give them this episode, all right? Uh, any people who are just like feeling uncomfortable about a new venture in life and wondering well, like, what's the reward or is there any uh, things to be gained from trying something new, send this to them. All right. I appreciate you so much for tuning in with me today. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.